With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we're going to continue a really fun series here today. Over the last three weeks, you know, we've talked with Ben Fennel, with Greg Cosell, with Dan Hatman, uh, guys that have been around the league, that have been in the league, covering the, the NFL draft and, and evaluating college players. And we're going to have another player or another person that has done that here today in Jim Nagy, who's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama, was a longtime NFL scout. And he's going to share with us some of his philosophies and his experiences evaluating college players and projecting them from college to the NFL. It's going to be a really fun discussion, something I'm really looking forward to. We're also going to catch up with Ben Fennel, our final draft recap from 2019. We're going to take a look at the the divisions from the AFC North and the NFC North, all eight teams in those two divisions, how they did in the 2019 draft, and really what they were thinking with their draft classes. Obviously, every team in the league really excited about what they did in April. We'll see why they may feel so excited, how these players will fit in their overall big picture, and then we'll wrap things up in the draft mailbag. We've got a good question here to wrap things up. So let's get things started here with Jim Nagy from the Reese's Senior Bowl. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All right, well, as I mentioned earlier, really uh, happy to welcome in Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, here to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, Jim's been on the podcast a couple of times before, was joined us for the first time last fall, once again uh, here this spring after the Senior Bowl. Now, here to kind of talk about his background and his philosophy throughout the course of the evaluation process as we continue this this series here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Jim, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, How is it so far here in your first full summer now uh, with the Reese's Senior Bowl. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on again, Fran. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we're just we're we're already gearing up for for 2020. I got a lot of catching up to do. I'm I'm staring at the board right now, and uh, I got a lot of players to watch. We uh, our scouting assistants who who both got jobs in the NFL. They've now left me with this uh, board with a bunch of names on it. So I've got uh, I got a ton of tape to watch these next couple months. What has been the, the biggest difference for you before we get into the, the topic of discussion? Uh, going in now, going into year two, obviously you jumped right in last year, right around, right around this time, right? So what has it been like now having this full offseason to kind of uh, get, a, get a jump on 2020? Yeah, from, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of challenges with this job because there are a lot more than just the football side and, you know, sponsorships and, and things, like, things of that nature. But, uh, but no, from a football perspective, I feel great because we're way ahead. Um, you know, last year at this time, we didn't have tape in the office. We didn't have a board up. I mean, we didn't. We were we were starting from scratch. So, uh, like I said, the, the, our scouting assistants, uh, Dante Farnioli, who just got a job with the Falcons, and Jack Gilmore, who got uh, is the college scouting coordinator of the Raiders now. Um, they did a great job, and uh, and they've they've got a way ahead. I'm, I'm ahead on putting a staff together, a scouting staff together. Uh, we're getting close to finalizing that. And uh, so, you know, it, we feel great about it. You know, we've, I've already seen probably 50 to 75 players in that range. And a, a year ago at this point, um, I've basically only seen Alabama, Auburn, and Clemson uh, for my job with the Seahawks before I started interviewing for this job. So um, we're, 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 we're way ahead. I feel good about it. All right, so let's get into these questions that I've got for you. And it'll be a lot of the same questions that I've asked our guests over the last three weeks. And really what I'm interested to hear too, Jim, is if there's been any changes in your process going into this role with the Senior Bowl as opposed to what you did uh, throughout your course of your career as a scout for, for the NFL, for the Patriots, and the Seahawks. And my first question is, you're sitting down to watch a guy for the very first time. Just take us through your process, uh, what you want to get out of that initial valuation. How many games do you watch? Uh, what kind of background information do you try and glean beforehand, or do you wait till after? Uh, what is your process like when you get to sit down and watch a guy for the very first time? Yeah, friend, this is this is actually my favorite part of the process is is the first exposure to a player because again you you come in it's a it's a blank slate. Um, you know, the hard part for me this past year, uh, once the Senior Bowl game was over, I, I took a took a job with ESPN doing some draft analyst stuff. And that was, it was really different for me because, you know, I had to 
get up to speed on a lot of juniors that weren't eligible for the Senior Bowl. And I felt like the narrative had already been unwritten on those players, you know, and whether whether you try to or not, I mean, you hear all the outside noise about, you know, certain players. So I, I always love just sitting down in the in the spring, you know, May and June of the previous year and actually tackling a player for the first time. So the process is, um, you know, you start off with the school and you look at all the draft-eligible players that are, you know, starters or contributors. So you don't just go in with a list of, you know, um, guys you think are draftable or what about you just, you give everyone their just dues you know starting from scratch and so um, you know you want to you don't you don't want to overdo it you don't want to sit here and grind seven games of junior tape but you want to give yourself a good enough feel going into the fall um, what guys you know which guys you really need to focus on again all the way through the process um, you always want to be mindful of the fact that players get better you got to give them the opportunity to get better so just because you graded a player at a certain level in the spring or the summer, going into that next fall, you, you know, you, you might have an idea of who you like, but you got to give you got to give everyone the opportunity to uh, to get better. So that's the process. You know, you want to start off with if you're only going to be looking at three or four games, you might want to look at rivalry games. So if it's an Alabama player, you know, you'll always want to put in the Iron Bowl game against Auburn, or if. You know, there's a there's a matchup in a game. You're doing a left tackle, and you know he played against a, a really good edge rusher from this past year's draft. Um, you want to pop in that game, so you you can be really specific on the games you want to target. And then uh, when you get into the fall process, it's more exhaustive. You know, where you might you might write you know look at seven, eight, nine games on a player, whereas in the spring it's it's you know two, three, or four. So you're just trying to get that you know you know get a little feel for the player you're targeting those those games uh matchups rivalries things of that nature so just give us a picture of your evaluation process you know, you're talking about right now in the spring you're trying to wet your beak a little bit get a little bit of a taste uh, of these guys when you get to the senior or get into the football season and the senior tape starts rolling through how quickly do you get that tape? So if a game happens on Saturday, do you get that tape uh, later that week? How long does it take the footage to get to you? And, and what is that uh, study process like for you throughout the course of the fall during your time there down in Mobile? Yeah, we, we thank goodness. Um, like I said, we, we, we got tape last year. They, the, the league office was great with us. They wrote us into their contract, and now we, we have access to the NFL Dub Center so we can download tape. Um, as quickly as the NFL teams can. So awesome. if they play it on Saturday, in some cases, you can you can pull it down on Sunday. So uh, really looking forward to going through an entire fall uh, with that being the process. And really, when we get into this thing, I just got off the phone with a guy, ironically enough, about a scouting position for next year. So uh, you know, they will. Our scouts will be out on the road in the fall. They'll all, each one of them will be at least at one game, sometimes two, two or three games in a weekend. And they're going to submit all their schools based off their live views that week. And then based off the grades that, that they send in, um, that will determine who, who I'm going to cross-check uh, in the office for uh, for the Senior Bowl. So, um, you know, again, we're, we're, that's why having an experienced staff, I tried to build this thing last year with, with former NFL scouts, guys who, whose eyes I trust, and they've done it for a long time. Um, you know, we don't have as much time because there are more things involved. I don't have as much time, um, you know, in the office because there's more components to this job than, than just the football side. I don't have the luxury of, of really sitting and grinding six and seven games on a guy. So uh, we really we really have to have a narrow focus when we get into the fall of who those players are. And, and again, it's, it's just not as it's not an exhaustive as a process. Again, because you know we we have to select our rosters at the end of November, early December, as opposed to as opposed to late April. So it's kind of our whole our whole calendar is condensed. So I want to get into your philosophy and evaluation, and really, I guess before we get into that. Just inform our, our listeners in terms of what your background is, how you first got into scouting, uh, who helped you get in the door, what was that like, when did it happen? Uh, tell us through, through your through your background in scouting in the NFL. Yeah, just yeah, quickly. I you know I I went to Michigan uh, for school. My only opportunities to play in college were, were small school ball, and this was pre-internet, so I had no idea how to get into scouting. You couldn't just Google, you know, how to how to be an NFL scout. So. 
Uh, I thought going to a big football factory like Michigan would, would be the best route. And uh, when I finished up there, you know, I, I volunteered down in the, down with the football team and, and did some stuff even in the SID office uh, to get some experience and then just sent out resumes and cover letters. And I tell guys all the time, um, we actually had a guy pop in here yesterday from a junior college who wants to get into scouting. and was just picking my brain on some things. And, you know, the benefit now that these guys have is that uh, there are more opportunities. I know there's some teams in the league that have as many as four scouting assistant positions. So, um, and back when I tried to get in, there was zero. I mean, there was there was no wow. entry level internship positions in scouting. So your only foot in the door was through the PR office. And uh, so yeah, I got I got my first job um, as a PR intern in Green Bay. And uh, when all my when all those duties were were done with the day, or if I had a free second. Uh, I was I was hopping up to the, the scouting department and uh, really bothering Reggie McKenzie and John Schneider, who were the the pro assistants at the time, and uh, asking those guys to let me watch tape with them and kind of wearing them out, probably annoying the heck out of them. But uh, it was I was fortunate there was five future GMs on that staff in Green Bay: John Dorsey, Scott McLuhan, uh, Reggie, and John, and Ted Thompson all went on to be GM. So it was a it was a great place to learn and be, just just to be around it really. Uh, be around a great organization and atmosphere, and we won the Super Bowl that year, so we're on a great team and see how that team came together. Um, so that's kind of how I got my start. And then my first area job was uh, a couple years later, uh, John Schneider got a job with the Redskins with Marty Schottenheimer and, uh, you know, had the authority to, to put together a staff, and he, he hired me to do the West Coast. So um, that was my first year on the road. So that's the, the quick synopsis of how I got rolling. So you started as a as a PR intern. I love like just hearing the stories because uh, you know, like you said, a lot of the younger guys, you know, they've got the ability uh, to share you know what they're doing, you know, with, from a resume standpoint uh, over the internet. Whereas you know, guys that are a little bit older, that wasn't the case. I remember reading, uh, I forget which book it is. I don't want to say the wrong title of the book, but uh, Thomas Dimitrov. I want to say, didn't he start with like the grounds crew in Cleveland, and then he like kind of uh, was watching tape with Scott Pioli in Cleveland? It was something along those lines. The, the background story. Uh, are fascinating for guys getting into that business. No, Fran, you nailed it. Yeah, Thomas was, uh, he worked on the ground crew with the Browns. His dad was one of the scouts. Um, so he would he would get done with his with his field duties and he'd have, he'd have paint all over him and grass and he was all nasty and he'd, he would hunker down and watch tape with Scott. That's exactly how their uh, their relationship formed, you know, years and years ago. That's That's exactly it. So let me ask you this question now. What do you, what do you feel are your strengths as an evaluator when you look at when you kind of self scout yourself? You know that's that's an interesting question. Um, I think that every I think every scout feels more you know more comfortable at certain positions than others when you start off. But I think the longer you scout, I mean, you, you really you work on your weaknesses, right? So for a lot of years, I, I didn't feel like I was just self scouting myself and grades and whatnot. Like I never, I wasn't real confident in the linebacker position. So, uh, again, I had the advantage of working with a couple of really good former players that were linebackers, uh, Matt Russell in, in New England and, and Dan Morgan in, in Seattle. And both those guys won the Buckus Award. So, just like being around those guys, watching tape with them, picking their brain, um, hearing, you know, things they look for at the position. So, it's always things like that. And that's, that's the great thing about, you know, in hitting up position, position coaches over the years, that's the great thing about working on staff is, you know, if, if you humble yourself and, uh, you know, you know, really seek out the advice of, of people on your staff, they're, they're more than willing to help. You know, you just, <laughs> it, that's the great thing about football. You know, you're around good football people and, and good resources. Um, if you're humble enough, you, you can you can learn a lot. And I, I those guys were great teammates, and they helped me through that kind of stuff. And, you just lean on yourself. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's a difficult question. I mean, you do, you do feel more comfortable. I, I think you ask most people that, that scout, they feel most comfortable scouting the position they played, though. You mentioned guys, you know, like Matt Russell. You mentioned Dan Morgan. I know you, you have a relationship with uh, John Schneider. You mentioned him as well. Who were your, some of your biggest influences, uh, you know, coming up in terms of teaching you how to evaluate and, you know, what to look for and guys that you kind of uh, leaned on most earlier in your career? You know, and that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, really, is I don't want to sound like a cop-out answer, but 
it's such a collection of, of everyone. The, the, the men I've worked under, obviously, you know, John Schneider, Scott Pioli, I mean, those guys were tremendous influences, uh, not only from an evaluative standpoint, from, but from a leadership standpoint, you know, could great takeaways from both of those guys. And uh, in 18 years, those were, those were the only two guys that I, I worked for. And I, I feel really lucky to, to have had that time. But, but in terms of, you know, um, influences on the scouting side, it, it's truly, it's true. It's everyone you worked on with the staff. It's, it's guys that you got close with on the road. Again, when you're an area scout, a lot of times you're almost closer with the guys from other teams that work in your area than the guys on your own staff. You spend more spend more time with them. And yeah. it, it depends on how it depends on how things are structured. Uh, you know, in New England, we were only out in New England. You know, maybe three and a half, four weeks out of the whole year. Whereas in Seattle, we were out there about eight weeks out of the year. So you know, double the time. So um, you do you get close to the guys in your area. So there's you know, I was fortunate when I broke into the business, um, there was still a lot of old, the old guard of scouting was still out on the road. So um, the profession has skewed a lot younger over the years, in my opinion, hmm. to uh, to its detriment. I, I, I always loved rolling into a school on the West Coast, um, and there'd be a 75-year-old guy, there'd be a 68-year-old guy, you know, a retired college coach or, um, you know, a retired, you know, NFL player and and just to be able to sit with those guys and pick their brains and, you know, not even from a football standpoint, but from a life standpoint and just, you know, it, uh, it was invaluable, you know, and again, everything's skewing younger. The last, the last few years for me on the road, I've, I've come into some schools and I was, as someone in their mid forties, I was the oldest guy in the room by far. So, um, the profession has definitely changed over the years, but there's, uh, too many influences to name. I mean, there's, and that's, the great thing about the scouting community is that, uh, you know, it really, you know, it really becomes a, it's really a small fraternity and, uh, you can learn a lot from everybody. Obviously everybody is kind of a, a result of, of their own background and, and their own experiences. And we all kind of draw on that, uh, to work on what we do on a day to day life. So my, my next question is when you talk about all the people that have influenced you and all the people that have impacted you along the way, how do you think that you kind of evaluate the game and you look at the game through your own lens? How is it different than other people? Is there are there things that you do that you feel you know might be a little bit different than you know this person or that evaluator or this other scout? What are the things that you feel set yourself apart that you do a little bit differently based off your past experiences? Um, another good question. Uh, I do think that I will say this. I think that evaluating. I think some people just have a real eye for it. I think there is a I think there is an instinct to it. I think there's some subtleties at every position, things that you can pick up on um, that can that can really help you. And that's why, you know, sitting and, and watching tape with people, you know, they can help you with some of those little clues at different positions that are that are very helpful. But it's not that. And to me, I don't I don't think I look for anything different than any other scouts look for. I think we're all looking for the same things, whether you know, it be physical traits or, or position skills, whatever it might be. But I think it's I think it's what you value. I think it's uh, you know as an as an evaluator, it's what you place the value on. And uh, you know I, I do feel like the longer you scout, watching the tape and figuring out the player is the easier thing, and the harder the hardest part is figuring out the person. I think that's where the majority of the mistakes are made. I think that you know even when you have all the information, and again this. That's what drove a lot of the older guys out of out of scouting. Quite frankly, yeah. is the minutia of the job nowadays and um, the hours that are put into it. You know, I I put something out on Twitter a couple weeks ago about they showed an old report format from the uh, from the Green Bay That's Packers, right. yep. and it was basically just a handwritten form, and you're just checking a couple boxes and you know writing a quick summary. And and uh, there's there's so much you know. And I use the example if you go into Alabama. And you write ten draftable players. Those reports, on average, now these places I've worked, to write a draftable guy it takes at least two hours, maybe maybe a little more. So that's twenty hours of work right there. That doesn't include the other seven guys at Alabama that are free agents or rejects. That doesn't include the three other schools you got to get through that week. So, on top of all the work you do at the end of a week, um, and being at a school till five o'clock, and then making a drive to a school and get there at nine. You now have 
usually 30 to 40 hours of work on top of that um, that you've got to stay up at night or, you know, cram through the weekend. That's why sometimes for scouts it's even hard to get the games on Saturdays because you literally have to be in your hotel room typing all day on Saturday and Sunday just to have your reports done by, by Sunday night or Monday morning. So, um, yeah, to get back on – to get back on track, I mean, you, you, you just—it's what you value, and I think that uh, you know I've always been a big—I always value character, you know, the football character of a player um, and personal character. But going back to the football character, the work ethic, the passion for the game, um, the toughness—I mean, those are things that you know I think outsiders take for granted that all guys love football and all guys are competitive. And they really aren't. I mean, there's there's different levels to that, and then. You know, I, I've always – I think the, the biggest mistakes of the teams I've been a part of and I've made myself are are when uh, I've kind of let the physical talent of a player uh, supersede the, some of the, the makeup flaws of the player. So I, I think that would be – long-windedly, I apologize. That, that's probably – I think I, it's just what you value, not what you're looking at. Yeah, and a lot of what you said is a lot of the things you hear from you. I remember listening to Daniel Jeremiah a couple of years ago and saying, you know, early on in his career, you, you, you could see, okay, this is what being a scout is like. You're going in, you're evaluating the player, you're talking to sources. Now it kind of evolved to the point where he said late in his career, it was like being a detective, being a private eye with how much you had to do from a background standpoint uh, on a player and all the information gathering and all the writing that you had to do based off of that aspect alone. Um, it, it, to me, it's just fascinating. You know, and watching the evaluation uh, of the, or the evolution rather of that role uh, is just really fascinating to me. Yeah, let me uh, jump in on the third friend. Um, well, well, it's in the front of my mind, like to what DJ was saying. I think that part of being a good scout is uh, in being being a good employee of wherever you work, whatever walk of life it is, is, is knowing your role. Mm. Um, I guess it goes back to the Patriots philosophy is doing your job. <laughs> you always hear Coach Belichick do your job. But um, you have to humble yourself at a point to know what your role is, you know, in the organization. And to me, I always felt like, um, you know, it used to be where a team might only have going into draft meetings, there might only be, you know, two two people that had seen the player, the area scout, maybe an over-the-top scout or the area scout and the college director. Well, you know, nowadays, by the time you're done with a player, you know, you, you've had seven or eight guys look at the player. You've got the GM, the college director, the, the national scout, the, the area scout, the position coach, the coordinator. So it's uh, – when it comes to the evaluation part of the tape, it's truly a collaborative effort. Um, it really is. So my, my thing as a scout was always like, we're going to get the player right as a group, um, but no one, the only person that's going to be in uh, Tuscaloosa or um, East Lansing or, or Columbus, Ohio, three times in a year or four times in a year is me. Yeah. So if, if we, if we get the person wrong, that's on me, you know, like, if I'm going to lose my job, it's going to be because of what I miss on the on the background part of it, rather than the, the player part of it. Now you got to be you have to be a good evaluator too, and I think that's where you separate yourself and and you continue to climb in the business. Um, but at the same point, my my biggest fear for the teams that I worked for um, was always if we drafted a player and I said he was one thing in draft meetings or through the process. And then, you know, we, I fly back out there the following December towards the end of his rookie year, and, you know, the head coach or the GM stops me in the hall and says, well, listen, you said such and such player was going to be this, and he's actually this. You know, what the, what the heck? Like, that, was always, that always drove me, you know, the fear of, of getting the, the person wrong and handing off the person to our scouting or to our coaching staff um, getting that guy wrong. To me, you have a responsibility as a scout to give your position coaches good people to work with. And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that, that's, that is a different part of it. Daniel, Daniel made a good point. I mean, you really, you really got to figure out the people because it is going back to the money part of it too. I mean, there's such a, there's such a uh, financial investment in players nowadays. You can't miss on them. 
Yeah, and it's, it's something you talk with scouts all around the league, and it's kind of an echoed sentiment where, you know, everybody gets the film. I mean, you, you mentioned it. I mean, you, you get the film uh, down in Mobile days after a game's played. Everybody gets the film right away, so everybody's going to see them uh, as a player, what they bring from a physical standpoint. Now it comes down to the scouts kind of out, outworking each other, the guys that are, you know, boots on the ground uh, on campus trying to figure out uh, who can get the most information and, and the most background uh, and rely on their sources the most. So it's, a, it's definitely an interesting part of the entire process. Uh, let me ask this one question. Um, how long does it take you to really feel good about a player's evaluation? Well, once you start it, uh, how long does it take you to really feel good? Obviously, it's a, it's a long process. Yeah, it, again, uh, it, it truly depends, Fran. I think that uh, there's, there's certain players you pop on and, and you, know, you know right away. You know within a, few, you know within a couple snaps you know, that you really like the player. I mean, some of those guys declare themselves really quickly. And again, in this, this role at the senior ball, I'll just bring it back to my current job. Um, you don't, we don't have the luxury. I don't have the luxury of, of sitting around and grinding eight games on a player. So, you know, when they, when they pop and, and you see some, you know, you see traits and instincts and production that would warrant them, you know, being a, being a senior bowl level player, which hopefully is a, you know, a draftable player in all instances, um, you have to make that determination to move on to the next guy. And uh, so, like last year, Colin Saunders, the D tackle from Western Illinois, I watched six quarters of football. I watched him against what? I watched him against Illinois. I knew I liked him. Um, you know, put on a game in the OVC against I forget who it was, and uh, you know, watched two quarters of that. He was dominant, and, and and okay, we want him in the game, and let's move on. Same thing with. Uh, Darnell Savage from Maryland. I think I watched, we watched the game and a half on Darnell Savage and knew right away that uh, he was going to be a guy. So it, it truly depends. But the hardest guy, and there's there's certain guys that no matter how much tape you watch, you don't have a lot of conviction. Yeah. And that was a, a point I tried to make, um, you know, in the scout school that we had down here a couple weeks ago with the former NFL players is, is your goal as a scout should always be to enter draft meetings with conviction. No matter how long that takes you, whether it's just, you know, one or two games and you just know you want them on your football team um, or it's, you know, the whole season. You know what, you know, one way or the other, you either want them on your team or you don't want them on your team. And, and again, there's going to be guys, no matter how much tape you watch, you just don't have conviction on. And usually those are guys, you know, leave that to the rest of the room. Let, you know, just say, hey, you say that meeting. Guys, I, you know, I watched a ton of this player. I just, I, I don't really have conviction on him either way. So I'm good with how the room goes with him. Um, there's there's those players, but you owe it to your team to watch as much tape as possible to come into that room with conviction. That's what you're getting paid to do. And again, that that just varies on the player. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, the scout school that you guys would run down in Mobile just uh, within the last couple of weeks. I know uh, Chase Goodbread from NFL.com wrote a great feature on it. Bucky Brooks uh, from NFL.com, NFL Network had written or did a, a really good job of explaining the process behind that uh, on the most recent Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah. Just an awesome uh, idea and a great uh, thing that you guys have done, just trying to incorporate uh, former NFL players, trying to teach them the business of scouting. Really, really awesome initiative there by you guys. And, and what you said in the beginning of that, too. Some guys, it's very easy. I, I can't imagine that you watch more than uh, a handful of plays of Raekwon Davis with, from Alabama before knowing, you know what, uh, this guy's got what it takes to play here uh, for the Senior Bowl. So my question now, who are some of the guys that have caught your eye for 2020 uh, while, while we've got you? Uh, any guys that have really kind of piqued your interest that you're really, really uh, excited to have down there in Mobile next January? Yeah, you named one. <laughs> Raekwon, <laughs> uh, he's going to be a big target for us again. I draw um, experience back to when Jaron Reed was coming out of yeah. Alabama. You know, just physically dominant football player, overwhelmed people at the point of attack with his with his heavy hands, and uh, you know, was a really good rundown player. He's as Jaron was as good a rundown player as I ever I ever scouted. You know, but the question was coming out of that system was if he had any pass rush ability, and I think that's what for me that's what helped me gain conviction on Jaron as a three down player was seeing him for a week here at the Senior Bowl. Mm. Um, the, the way they run their technique, you know, sometimes they're, they're, a lot of time at Alabama they've, they're taught a square stance where they're not even trying to get off the ball and get upfield. They're playing run to pass. And uh, seeing him down in Mobile really helped me gain that conviction that this guy can do it. And then 
you know, so you see this year he had ten and a half sacks for for the Seahawks as an interior guy, which is is an incredible incredible sack production. So Raekwon's going to be the same way. I think that he's really easy to scout in the run game, um, but the question's going to be how much pass rush he has. So um, that would be my pitch. That's going to be my pitch to Raekwon is uh, you know come down here and 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 really kick butt and one on ones and show people you can uh, affect the passer. So you know, and then you go three hours away and uh, Derek Brown at Auburn yeah. is the guy that jumps off the tape. You know, Rodney Gardner is D line coach raves about him, you know, as a person, as a player, he's a, uh, he's a pretty easy guy to do. Javon Kinlaw staying in the mm-hmm. SEC, another defensive lineman now more raw than those first two guys, but he's long and he's got all the physical traits to develop into a, you know, a really high level player. I think that uh, teams are just going to be looking to see if he puts it all together this year. Because you saw it in flashes last year, and, and the, the physical talent's all there. But if Javon can uh, can put it together, I mean, he's he's going to be a big time player. So you know, last year's edge rush class was really good. There's some interesting dudes in that group this year too. Um, you know, Alton Robinson from Syracuse, Trayvon Hill from Miami, Daryl Taylor from Tennessee, um, Julian Okwara from Notre Dame. Bunch of names in that group. Um, couple linebackers I really like in the senior class. Kamal Martin from Minnesota, Marcus Bailey from Purdue, a couple Big Ten guys. So, um, you know, those are some really good players on defense. Jalen Elliott, the safety, the free safety from Notre Dame. Bryce Hall, a corner from Virginia. Really good players. Um, tight end's going to be tight end shaping up. You know, Jared Pinkney from Vanderbilt. Uh, Mitchell Wilcox from USF. Yep. Harrison Bryant from FAU. Uh, Bryson Hopkins from Purdue. There's a huge group of receivers, a bunch of 6'3", 6'4", wideouts in this year's group. Um, Chase Claypool, Notre Dame, Brian Edwards, South Carolina, Colin Johnson, Texas, K.J. Hill, Ohio State. And then, you know, working across the running backs, there's two backs in this year's this year's group. They might be better than anyone we had in last year's game, and that's Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt and Zach Moss from Utah. Um, even throw the Michael P. Ryan from Florida in that group. I mean, that's a really cool running back group for a senior class. Those guys are usually hard to find because most of them leave as juniors. And then uh, the quarterback position, you know, Justin Herbert, everyone knows that name from Oregon. But, uh, you know, I'll be interested. Head over to the Manning camp uh, here in about 10 days and uh, to check out guys like Joe Burrow from LSU who's done some good things on the tape I've watched. Nate Stanley from Iowa. I was watching him yesterday. Steven Montez from Colorado, Jalen Hurts, see, see what Jalen looks like at Oklahoma this year. So, uh, yeah, we're, get, we're, get, we're getting into it. It's really, this is an exciting time because you've, you kind of fast forward to next year at this time, and these guys will all have been drafted and, and in the league, and this is kind of the starting point. Like I said earlier, friend, this is, this is my favorite part of the process. And I was just going to say, I I agree with you because this is my this is also you know for a lot of these guys it's my first uh, exposure to them. Maybe guys like Raekwon I had watched earlier in their career, but uh, you know some of these guys I you know I know the name but haven't seen them. So it's a lot of fun to go in kind of with a blank slate and uh, you know before the narrative is kind of written on these guys uh, from a from a media standpoint, uh, just to get a chance to to really get eyes on them and kind of formulate your own opinion. Uh, couldn't disagree or couldn't agree more, Jim. Really appreciate the time here today on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Best of luck over the next uh, few months as you you guys continue getting ready for the the, uh, 2019 season, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. All right, friend. Hey, thanks for having me on. Let's uh, let's get all your listeners down to Mobile for the 2020 game this year, okay? You got it. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. (laughs) All right, friend. Thanks. Well, I hope you guys learned something there from that talk with Jim Nagy. It was really just an awesome resource. You should be following him on Twitter. I know I do. And he puts up great stuff, just awesome access to the entire process. You know, whether it's now and he's posting pictures of their draft board and how they're stacking players to when they get to the season. And those guys, they've got, like I said earlier, they've got boots on the ground on college campuses and they're taking video of guys during warmups and who they're looking at at all these games. It's just a really good look behind the scenes, not just for what's going on at the Senior Bowl, but what scouts are. Are doing. So if you want to learn more about the game, make sure you go follow Jim. But 
you want to learn even more about the game of football, I suggest you go and do a little bit more research on the Eagles Football Academy. And the Eagles Football Academy offers hands-on coaching and instruction for football players between the ages of 7 and 16. These are one-day clinics, and they're all held down here in South Philadelphia at the NovaCare Complex. They feature non-contact drills led by top high school and college coaches in the area, as well as appearances by an Eagles player. Cheerleaders, Swoop will be there. Their summer clinics, they're all filling fast. So visit philadelphiaeagles.com slash eaglesacademy to sign up your son or daughter today. It's a really funny experience. I've had family members go through the Eagles Football Academy. Couldn't rave more about the experience there. So really something you want to check out. All right, let's move on here. I told you earlier we would catch up with Ben Fennell. Our final draft recap for 2019. Let's take a look at what we had to say about the AFC and NFC North. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Well, back for one last draft recap for the 2019 draft. This is the last time we're looking back at the, the 2019 draft. and it, We're going to be starting uh, our look ahead to the 2020 class very, very soon. But, uh, Ben, we're here uh, to talk about the NFC North and the AFC North. And this is Ben Fennell, of course, uh, at Ben Fennell underscore NFL on Twitter. Ben, uh, let's start things off with Detroit, uh, the, the second draft here um, for this new <clears> coaching <throat> staff and, and I think the third or fourth for the personnel staff. But um, an interesting group that you can kind of point to you know their lineage and where they come from and say yeah this this makes a lot of sense tj hawkinson at eight jelani tavai a linebacker i was high on coming out of hawaii in the second round uh austin bryant in the fourth round a bunch of guys that <clears throat> just really make sense overall you know i'm a forward thinking guy but for you we'll look back just this one last time and it's kind of funny you know eric ebron it was five years ago they took a, a right. tight end in the yeah. top 10 yep and it's kind of interesting to see the evolution of that position and suddenly we had this athletic upside almost a receiver at tight end and then we went to tj hawkinson the complete opposite of uh eric ebron someone who's going to survive in line and be a great blocker at the point of attack on early downs i don't know what he's going to bring for you in the past game we can scheme open off play action, some over routes, some under routes, some slip routes, things like that. He's going to make his money in the trenches, blocking at the point of attack. Let me ask you a question. I was talking about this with somebody earlier today. If Dallas Goddard didn't play at South Dakota State, or if South Dakota State had a different style of offense, and he wasn't basically a big receiver, and he was asked to block like Hawkinson was, and you had that on film, you know, Dallas Goddard that we saw in 2018 killing people at the point of attack and running routes and doing all these kind of things from a hand in the dirt. And if he didn't get hurt, I'm, I'm using a lot of ifs here, and if he didn't get hurt at the senior bowl and like then couldn't work out at the combine and lost all that buzz, who's a better prospect, TJ Hawkinson or Dallas Goddard? You could probably make a case Dallas Goddard. I thought he showed you a, a bit more in the past game. I think so. His moves yeah. in the open field. And I, and I love Hawkinson. Like, Hawkinson was a top 10 player for me. Like, we, I'm not knocking And we really Hawkinson. didn't see Goddard asked to block a whole lot well, of South Dakota State. He wasn't at That's what I mean. Like, if he, had, if he had gone to Iowa and he was playing the role that Hawkinson was, like, I'm sorry. Like, like Goddard would have gone, like, would have been a top 10 pick. But these are the types of tight ends that I love. I, I know, want yes. the guys that can survive in the run game. This is why I like Nick Boyle over the Max Williams right. of the world. Yep. And then we wonder why, oh, well, Nick Boyle just got this free agent contract. He has only this many touchdowns. Because these are the guys that are the lifeblood of offenses. These yep. are the players that make offenses tick. And as much as I love, you know, the Zach Ertz's and these pass catching tight ends. It's the Dallas Goddards and the Brent Selleck's that make the offense tick. And then those flex tight ends and those U tight ends and those move players can really, you know, excel in the pass game. But these are the guys that are the lifebloods that make offenses and the scheme work. So let's talk about Tavai, the second round pick, because I I find him to be very intriguing because of his skill set, what he was asked to do, which was pretty much everything uh, at Hawaii. We we do see these guys come out. Um, You know, we see. Uh, players that either were a were edge rushers at the college level and really aren't those that like on a full time basis in the NFL, or guys that just like lined up in space and said like okay go play, and that's not what they're going to be asked to do in the NFL. How do you view those guys? Just basically off the hook. You know, I thought uh, Jelani Tavai was interesting because I've always had this couple names written down when I was studying his tape and. That kind of jack of all trades type of player, like a Kyle Van Noy. Yep. who's a little bit of an off ball, a little Former bit of a halfway Lions player. Pick, by the way, and that's the interesting aspect. He got <laughs> traded to the Patriots and did an interview after the Super Bowl and said they were they couldn't figure out where to play him in Detroit. Yeah, which he, was an old staff. Yeah, no question. Staff, yeah. And he said, "Well, why did you draft me?" 
and it just gets to an interesting conversation about plans. And you got to have plans for these players. And he showed up to New England, and they gave him a binder and said, we're having you do this, this, and this. Those are your assignments. Study them. Know them. And he was just very refreshed to say they gave me a role and they had a plan for me. So Jelani Tavai, in that same conversation, can do a lot of things for you. But make sure you have a plan and you have a role for them and you don't ask them to do too much because suddenly they're not making any plays for you and you're a little bit out of place. And um, I just I think Jelani Tavai is a very interesting player. But like Van Oy and like some of these other players, whether it's an Anthony Barr or Bernard McKinney and those style of players that are off ball and edge rushers and space players, uh, you got to make sure you have a role for him in the NFL. One player from the rest of that list that stands out most here. So we'll say Will Harris, the safety from Boston College, round three, round four, Austin Bryant, Clemson, defensive end. Round five, Amani Oruwariye, the corner from Penn State. Round six, you had a wide receiver, Travis Fulgham, Old Dominion, Ty Johnson, the speedy running back from Maryland. And then round seven, Isaac Nada from Georgia and P.J. Johnson, the defensive tackle from Arizona. Well, I like Isaac Nada, and I think he's going to just kind of fit into this trend of tight end. They brought in Jesse James. You got T.J. Hawkinson. Yep. You got more traditional run-style tight ends. But I think the most interesting thing they did is what they didn't do. They didn't draft anyone on the offensive line. And mm. there's some people around the league that are really questioning the collective talent. Right now you have Taylor Decker. You have Glasgow at center. You have Wiggins at right guard. Uh, you have Ricky Wagner at right tackle. I don't really know where the strength on that offensive line is. And if you have any... Left guard, pro, sounds like. Pro, <laughs> Frank Ragnow is a very good player at left guard, so I didn't include him on this list of questionables. But... Um, I don't really see any potential pro bowlers on there, and I have some concerns that maybe you started to overlook that offensive line just a little bit too much. Let's go to uh, to Green Bay next, and a team that's near and dear to you. Obviously, you cover them for The Athletic. Uh, two first-round picks, uh, Rashawn Gary, number 12, Dar- Darnell Savage, number 21. What does this tell you about their defense and where they want to go? Because they, they, obviously they addressed – Edge rush a lot in free agency. They brought in Preston Smith, Sedarius Smith. They spent, was it two high picks on corners last year? Mm-hmm. Yep. Josh Jackson and Jair Alexander last so year. You, so you supply the secondary with another versatile piece, a guy that can, in theory, play some of the, some, some slot in Savage. What do, where do you think this defense is going overall? Yeah, you know, being aggressive in free agency and going attacking the players that you can go get alleviates some of that pressure on draft day. And like you're saying, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, you go bring Adrian Amos over from Chicago, you sign Billy Turner on the offensive line. Gives them a little bit of flexibility on that first round. And I think Rashawn Gary is as boom or bust a prospect as there is in this draft. Absolutely. And that's okay. They have time to figure it out. He's 21 years old. What you can't teach is a player to be 6'3", 275, and to run a 4'7". He's a freak athlete. He's an elite athlete. Some questions about maturity and some injury issues with his labrum and things like that. I think Don Brown, defensive coordinator at Michigan, got the number one player in high school and said, where can we implement this kid? And sometimes those players, you get so excited to use them, you're not coaching them and developing them. So I'm very interested to see when Rashawn Gary gets to Green Bay. Is he coachable? Can he get better and really develop his game? Because he has the ability waking up in the morning. He get, has the traits and the athletic upside. Yep. Get like, him with Mike Daniels. No like question. Jersey yeah. kid. Like, get him with Mike Daniels and, and make it work. And then going and trading up for Darnell Savage, yeah. they felt like he was about to get taken off the board. They were aggressive and used two fourth-round picks to go up there. And I'm not sure Green Bay's had this level of athlete in the middle of the defense. He's a 4-3 player. He's undersized, but he's a spark plug. And he makes plays on the ball. Very savvy coverage skills. Plays a great intensity and passion. He's a thumper. He's a linear guy. He wants to run and knock your head off, but he doesn't finish a lot of tackles because he's 185, 190 pounds. But he plays a great intensity. He plays 100 miles an hour, and I think he's going to be a great kind of piece to either play a back-end safety, roll down and be a robber, or maybe cover the slot for you. What other pick stands out most to you from that group? Some interesting players. I like Elton Jenkins. I think yep. he's going to add to the competition at both guard spots, Lane Taylor, and I'm not sure what they view Billy Turner, whether he's going to be a guard or a tackle. You have to figure out what Brian Bulago's future is. He could be a cap casualty later this summer, and if Billy Turner is the right tackle, I could see Elton Jenkins fitting in at one of those guard spots. Jay Sternberger is more as that move tight end. Yep. Uh, I think we'll replace Jimmy Graham in a year or two, and then Kingsley Kiki from Texas A&M, I think is a late-round version of Draymond Jones, someone mm-hmm. with a great first step and that yep. athletic upside. Like from that. a trench player. 
Sure. And Dexter Williams is a guy from Notre Dame, the running back, uh, that I think has a lot of ability and showed that last year as a senior. And we'll see. Uh, and he's he someone there. I thought looked better on tape and that he ran 4.55 or 4.6. Runs fast. He plays but, faster. But than you that. saw the burst and yeah. you saw the oh, acceleration. Yeah. I don't need you to run 4.4 four being very a running back. In the hole. No question. Outside zone scheme, Matt LaFleur is going to bring to Green Bay. You got to have patient to, patience to the hole, put that foot in the ground, and burst through the hole. And I think that's what he'll do really well. A ton of picks for Minnesota. Uh, three sixes, four sevens. Uh, Melissa Kelly and Peter Kelly are both behind the glass right now producing. Could you imagine? Uh, just show, give me like a show of hands. What would day three in the draft look like if we had three sixes? Because Melissa produced the the uh, Eagles draft central. So uh, so much of the legwork behind the scenes. Imagine three sixth round picks and four seventh round picks. <laughs> the mind's exploding in the in the uh, control room right now. It's phenomenal in terms of just like looking at all these all these players they just bring in a lot of interesting backgrounds and i think ultimately one of the big things and this is a big thing with minnesota just historically a lot of interesting athletes you know like irv smith alex madison from boise tested well um you know you get ole udo big body kid who uh you know moves better than people think and it's interesting players that they brought in over the course from round one all the way to round seven what i see when i look at this list and garrett bradbury and irv smith and drew samia cam smith man there are no finesse players on this list these are football players these are guys that are tough yeah, maybe they're not, you know, jumping 40 inches and running Mike four, Zimmer, man. four threes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we want good football players. Mm-hmm. We want tough guys that can play every down. And that's the Irv Smith. That's the Cam Smiths of the world. That's the Chris Boyds of the world at Texas. Not the fast fleet of foot corner, but just a tough physical player that's not going to back down from anybody. And obviously they had a need to address the interior offensive line. You take, uh, you know, Garrett Bradbury with the first pick, Drew Samia, who I think was part of one of the better offensive lines in the country last year at Oklahoma. And then uh, Ali Udo from Milan. Yeah more of a developmental player who has some great upside. So I think addressing the offensive line and figuring out the trenches in front of Kirk Cousins, spent a lot of money on a quarterback, spent a lot, of, a lot of money on two receivers, and they keep saying they want to run the ball. So we have to address the offensive line and really bolster uh, yep. you know, the future there. I think they like Brian O'Neill at right tackle, and they yep. still have a uh, – what's his name? Uh kid from – Detroit over at left tackle. Oh, Riley Reef. Riley yeah. Reef. Yeah, yep, sure. Um, so I think they like their tackles, just figuring out that guard center guard. Yeah, and I think Bradbury will. I mean, he'll shore that up. No question. Sure. All right, let's go to Chicago, where it was the opposite. They had five picks total, not one until seventy third <laughs> overall. Uh, they take David Montgomery, and they traded up for David Montgomery. They lose Jordan Howard this year, uh, obviously trading him here to Philadelphia. So uh, had a, a hole in that backfield. They trade up for Montgomery, a guy that I think fits in very well with uh, with uh, that offense there and what they're trying to and do. And somebody they must think very highly of when you don't have a whole lot of draft picks and you're starting to use that capital to go get a guy in the third yep. round. So uh, somebody I'd imagine they've seen quite a bit at Iowa State, just being a Midwest team out there. And he's going to fit and you know replace Jordan Howard and be a great compliment to Tariq Cohen. I think he's someone that also excels in space. He could still work in the pass game and in the screen game and try to get him into the open field. And uh, I think another intriguing undrafted player they brought in, on top of drafting Riley Ridley, who's a great route runner, and just adding to that hopper of receivers with Anthony White and Allen Robinson and all those players, Emmanuel Hall from Missouri mm. ended up being an undrafted signing out there to just add that speed element no that you know those Andy Reeds and Doug Petersons and now Matt Nagy's of the world love those players to stretch defenses vertically as well as horizontally. So Emmanuel Hall is a little bit rough around the edges as far as being a complete receiver, but we know he can run and he can really hold that red line and win on the perimeter down the field. So after Ridley, they have uh, three picks left. Duke Shelley, the corner from Kansas State. Uh, running back Kareth White from FAU, the other running back from FAU. And then Steven Denmark, the corner from Valdosta State. I didn't watch any of those three guys. Well, oddly enough, I did not watch the Kansas State kid or the Florida Atlantic kid, but, but I watched, watched the Valdosta State sicko. kid. I knew you did. Who was actually right. a receiver, moved a corner this past year. Okay. This kid is enormous. He's like 6'3", just a shade under 220. Can he run? He's a 4'4 player, right. jumped yeah. 40 inches. That's... All this upside in the world. That's why seventh-round players from Valdosta State get drafted That's in the right. NFL because of that upside. He does not look like a corner in any regard. Big no. player, broad player. Uh, not sure where he'll fit into an NFL team, but just an intriguing player. All right, let's go uh, now to the AFC North. We'll start with the Cincinnati Bengals. They have the 11th overall pick going in. Uh, they select Jonah Williams uh, out of Alabama, first offensive lineman off the board. Um, intriguing option because, look, they, they've swung and missed numerous times at tackle. Um, so a guy that maybe didn't have the biggest upside, 
but you knew what you were getting in Jonah Williams, and at the very least, you know you can slide him inside if you need to. Yeah, they value the position. Obviously, taking Andre Smith in the top 10 years back, and then the things didn't really work out with Cedric Aboye yep. from Texas A&M. So Jonah Williams, don't overthink this kid. He's played a lot of great football yep. for Alabama. He's got the short arms. I'm going to let him survive at tackle first if we have to kick him inside uh, like a Justin Pugh or the way Luke Jokel's career kind of went, being a tackle first. But I think he'll be a fine tackle in the NFL. Thoughts on Drew Sample going in the second round? Great player. Another, yeah. another guy I love is a first, second down in-line tight yep. end, whether it's a TJ Hawkinson or a Trevon Wesco. Didn't have the athletic upside in the pass game to get you excited, but someone that could put his face into a defensive end, block for you at the point of attack. I think he was a converted defensive lineman, if I'm not mistaken. I have to check on that one. Um, but, yeah, just a tough player that can really survive in the trenches. And don't worry about the pass game. We can scheme you open. A couple guys I know you were high on, specifically that I picked in day three, uh, they get Rennell Wren in the fourth round. They get Travion Williams, the running back from A&M, in the sixth round. Uh, Rodney Anderson, the running back from Oklahoma, in the sixth round. Obviously, major in- injury concern there, but very talented player. Uh, anyone else stand out to you from that list? Yeah, Rodney Anderson. Anytime he's been on the field, he's, he's, he's been one of good. the best players on the field. Last time we saw him was that Oklahoma-Georgia semifinal game yeah, two years ago. I think he was the best player, player on the field. Yeah. Had no problem running through guys like Roquan Smith and yep. a bunch of big plays. Big fan of Travion Williams. You don't run for 1,700 yards in the SEC and, you know, and be a nobody. Uh, he didn't test particularly well. He's not a 220-pound back. I think he runs harder than his 205-pound frame suggests. But someone with good vision, good patience, good burst and acceleration, good in the screen game, a lot of pro-style you know, type of running schemes yep. there with some outside zone and things like that. And Rennell Rand is someone who I've seen quite a bit in person. Great first step defensive tackle, and then yep. kind of just dies out. Um, so I'm hoping getting with you know a uh, Geno Atkins style of player can really refine his technique and get the most out of his ability because he's got that first step quickness. He's an awkward trench player. He's about six five and long to be a nose tackle at Arizona State. So he may slowly start to drift into three tech and maybe turning into an edge player. Uh, let's go to the other team in Ohio, Cleveland Browns. They uh, get Odell Beckham Jr. with their first round pick. So let's go to the second round. There was a lot of buzz that Cleveland wanted to get bigger at corner. You had Denzel Ward last year, fourth overall pick. He's a little bit undersized, so get some size there. There was thoughts early in the draft process that when they still had that first-round pick that they would take Greedy in round one. They end up with Greedy in round two. Yeah, I mean, they only had seven picks and five went to defense. So they feel pretty good about the offense, addressing a free agency, and all the young players they brought in last year, Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb and Jarvis Landry and Joku. And I think they feel good about the offense. They just somehow figure out that left tackle position that's been solidified for 12 years until all of a sudden it's not Joe Thomas retires and the team is good Um, but they brought in some interesting players in free agency too Olivier Vernon Morgan Burnett uh, and then obviously addressing some of these guys Mac Wilson in the fifth round I mean this is just great quality players to add to the back end of your roster to compete with the Joe Schoberts and Christian Kirksey's of the world even Donnie Lewis from Tulane. I didn't watch him. Very interesting players, a long corner that's kicked in and played some nickel and sub packages. I think it's just really going to be a nice piece. He was really the late-round version of a Greedy Williams. They're mm. both tall, long corners that uh, I think will excel in man-to-man coverage. Sione Takitaki is an interesting player. You'll yeah. find him off-ball, hang player, defensive end, out yep. in space. I have a rep or two of him at corner. I think yeah. he had to walk out a that's couple right. times. Yep. So what he is in the NFL, I'm not really sure. He'll probably fit into that safety room and be a dime linebacker. Mm. But just another intriguing athletic player. Really cool background story, too, with uh, Taki Taki, who's um, done a lot. He said it's kind of been a roller coaster journey for him, but uh, you know, interesting to follow his career. Was he on the team, off the team, one of those yep, guys? Okay. Yep. And, you know, he's a, and admittedly, like, screwed a lot of things up early in his career there and took things for granted and then wasn't on the team and, you know, really got his head on straight and has really come a long way. He's married and, you know, is doing a lot of the right things and was a captain this year. Nice. Um, very interesting <clears> story. Um, all right, let's go to Pittsburgh. Uh, they trade up because everybody knew they wanted Devin Bush and everybody knew there was no way they were getting him uh, where they stood initially going into the draft. So they trade up. To number ten with Denver, they get their guy. Hopefully, want to plug that hole. Uh, you know, when they lose Ryan Shazier, they didn't do it well enough last year. Now Devin Bush comes in and can be that guy. Yeah, and just talking about two of their picks, I think their first pick and their last pick are perfect Pittsburgh picks. Devin Bush yeah. out of Michigan is just going to be a great three down player for them. Question: What you're going to do with him on third down? He's not really a turn and run cover guy. He's more of someone you're going to work into the blitz scheme and some pressure packages and have him uh, spy the quarterbacks. And look at Derwin Gray out of Maryland. 
This type of tackle only fits certain offensive lines. This is a huge, massive tackle. This is an AFC North offensive line. No question. And when you look at the profile of Pittsburgh Steeler offensive linemen, they're not like every other offensive lineman in the NFL. These are guys that don't bend particularly well. They're not particularly athletic. When you look at Ramon Foster at left guard, he looks like a tackle. And Andres Villanueva is a huge tackle as well. Listen, Derwin Gray doesn't move very well but he fits the Steelers' profile, and I think he's going to be a very strong player for him. There is such a thing as, like, uh, you know, a player being a certain team's type. You know, like, uh, we, say, we say it with a number of Look, look, you bought up first pick and last pick. Look right smack in the middle. Their fourth-round pick, Benny Snell, that's a Steelers running back. Like, exactly. Big and, and who does he look exactly like? James, yeah, James Conner. Conner. No question. I mean, yeah. that's the, the, that kind of guy makes a lot of sense for them. Deontay Johnson from Toledo is another guy that, you know, you look at him and you're like, okay, like I, I can see him fitting uh, what they look for at the position when you watch him. At, uh, they must have really liked him as well because he went ahead of a couple other intriguing receivers. They he had a first-round grade on him was what they said in pressers. I mean, for, to see a Deontay Johnson go ahead of like a Hakeem Butler, who yeah. was one of the first picks on day three, just kind of interesting to go through that pecking order. Another interesting player, Zach Gentry, went yep. to Michigan as a quarterback. Right. Every bit of 6'7", 6'8". was actually a New Mexico Gatorade Player of the Year at quarterback. So I think he's still got some athletic upside and mm-hmm. finding his way at the tight end position. Jesse James, obviously gone in free agency. So a new so. age Antoine randall maybe. Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, last one. And this is a really intriguing one. We kind of mentioned it last week on the show. Uh, to me and, and uh, your colleague at NFL Network, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, had been kind of pounding this drum going back early in the offseason that Baltimore would really want to get faster on the perimeter and really complement what they're trying to do on offense. Greg Roman, the new offensive coordinator, it's going to be all centered around the run game, Lamar Jackson, misdirection. We're really going to grind you out offensively on the ground. One of the best ways to do that and to complement that is to get speed on the perimeter. And yeah, people will question this and say, oh, you know, Lamar Jackson, he doesn't target receivers. What are those numbers? What are the numbers going to be like? Forget that because really it's more about how does he, how are these guys, and I'm talking about Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin and even Justice Hill at, at running back, how are these guys going to impact? the rest of that offense because when you have that kind of speed yeah we could say like oh they're they're making a track team it's more about saying like giving the defenses a lot to worry about you know you have whether it's Marquise Brown or Miles Boykin on the perimeter or Justice Hill coming out of the backfield or being moved into the slot now that kind of opens things up, and it gives you a lot of toys to do from a misdirection standpoint as no well. No question. And great compliment of players at Lamar Jackson's ability. Don't forget they brought in Mark Ingram in free agency yeah. to be more of that between-the-tackles bruiser, which you need on a lot of those quarterback read plays of a, a running back that excels between the tackles and Justice Hill's ability on the perimeter in the pass game. Obviously an explosive 4-4 player, 40-inch vertical type of player. Just very interesting to see. Obviously, they want to build this through the run game and then work in the wrinkles off of that and all the play-action aspects. And just like that Seattle scheme we were talking about, if you want to wheel that safety down into the box, buyer beware on the outside with Hollywood Brown and Miles Boykin and some of these guys that can really run in that offense. Listen, Lamar Jackson, he struggles in the quick game accuracy. He struggles in the intermediate passing. But as far as down the field and off play action and you get him some separation from the offensive line to really survey – that's where he's at his best. He's got a strong arm and can really put that thing out there. And Trace McSorley fits from the you know the from that from a philosophical standpoint. You pair him with in there with RG three, no three guys that have similar kind of skill sets. They're different level athletes, obviously, but when in terms of being able to play the position the same style, yeah. all three of those guys can do that. Ben Powers is an offensive lineman that's built. It's kind of like what we were just talking about with Pittsburgh. He's built like those Ravens offensive linemen. And then Jalen Ferguson, their second pick uh, in the third round, or the, the first pick in the third round, the second pick overall. He's a Baltimore Raven-type defensive He's lineman. He's always reminding me of Terrell Suggs, too. I thought they had the same body type and that kind of bubble bud and being a thicker kind of edge player. Yep. And getting a Dalen Mack at nose tackle. That's a it's classic fits. Baltimore nose tackle, yeah. one-tech style player and that run plugger. Uh, very interesting. Trace McSorley as well. I've heard nothing but great things from my NFL films. People have been following with Hey Rookie. Interesting. It's a great kid. Heard nothing but great things from his time at Penn State and being a leader on the field, off the field. Tough kid. I don't care where he got drafted. He's just someone you want in your locker room and around your team. Yeah, and I, the big thing, that I, again, that I hope your guys are taking from all these that we just finished is every one of these teams – has a vision for these players. All of them feel like they had a great draft. So 
What is it that they're trying to see in these players? What is it that they envision for them in the future? How do they fit their culture? How do they fit their team, both philosophically and uh, you know off the field as well? So uh, interesting exercise, just kind of going through and appreciate Ben uh, joining us here the last few weeks here on Draft Buzz on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Ben, uh, we'll see you again in a few weeks. We'll get things going here for uh, previewing the 2019 season. No more looking back. We're only looking forward. Only looking now, forward. Right? New beginnings. That's right. All right. Well, Ben, uh, we'll catch you here in a couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft. All right, so that was our final recap there with Ben Fennell, and he's going to be joining the show once again here in the next few weeks because he comes back, and he comes back into the Novacare Complex. Uh, he signed his offer. You may be following Ben on Twitter. You know he's coming back for the 2019 season. Really excited uh, to work with Ben here on an everyday basis. Here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, he'll be doing his Saturday scouting segment where he's on the road every single weekend at a college stadium, evaluating teams, working with his job at ESPN. So it'll be a lot of fun uh, catching up with him. And we'll be starting our, our conference previews here not too far away just a few weeks away we'll be catching up with Ben and with Tony Pauline and player people all around the country that follow college football and really the NFL draft as they project players to the NFL all right we've got one question here in our draft mailbag from Rage114 who went on to our Apple podcast page and by the way that's the best way to support the show go over wherever you listen go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher just leave us a rating and leave us a comment and that's what Rage did left a question Fran Sharif Miller was a junior, so he was off your radar, presumably many other analysts' radar as well. If he had stayed in school, where would you have projected him to go next year? And, Rage, it's a great question. Tough to really answer. I don't know if I can fully answer that question because we don't know what he would have done in his senior season. Look, we just talked with Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl. If Sharif Miller had gone down to the Senior Bowl and tore it up, he, he may have been an early day two pick. You know, if he had built off of what he had done his junior season, we don't know that for sure. That's always the, the, the uh, decision that those underclassmen have to make is do they say, all right, well, I can go back to school and help improve my stock, go to things like the Senior Bowl and really kind of help myself, or do I strike while the iron's hot and jump in to the NFL as an underclassman? That's what Sharif did. He ended up being an early day three selection, and now he's got an opportunity to compete here in the NFL. He's got NFL coaching. He's going to be working with Philip Daniels here this year uh, as a rookie in the NFL, so it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of watch Sharif and what he does this year as a rookie, but uh, it's tough to say exactly how much he would have helped him to his stock. We saw guys like, look, Josh Allen last year uh, from Kentucky. He was considered kind of a, an early day two, maybe a, a late first round prospect entering the season he had an outstanding senior year was extremely productive won a bunch of awards went it didn't it ended up not having to go to the senior bowl because of what he did uh throughout his senior season so certainly uh, an opportunity for guys to help themselves but there's been opportunity or there's been examples uh, of guys that have gone the other way and didn't help themselves in their senior year so look you can go either way with that discussion and probably have a whole hot a whole podcast just on that debate but uh Sharif Miller uh look he, he's going to be really excited to, to see what he can do here this summer in training camp it's going to be a fun competition there on the defensive line, especially at defensive end. I know I'm excited to watch that all unfold. So uh, a lot coming here in the next few weeks. Again, we're going to have a couple more episodes here where we kind of dive behind the curtain with evaluators and what they look for uh, in the college draft or in the NFL draft process, watching players and projecting them to the NFL. We'll have a couple more episodes along those lines, and then we'll get into those previews uh, for 2019 and for the 2020 NFL draft. Until next week, I'm Fran Duffy. Thanks for listening here to the Journey to the Draft podcast.